Romans chapter 8, starting verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to help us as we work through verse 34. Let me pray for us. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you again, Lord, for this Lord's day. The Lord, we get this special day, Lord. That Lord, we get to separate from so many things in this world, Lord, to be right here with your people and your word. Lord, we ask you, Lord, let us, as our sister Miss Tyler prayed earlier, let us not be distracted, Lord, by the things of this world. Let us not be distracted, Lord, by work tomorrow, work late on today. But Lord, right now, Lord, let our attention, Lord, and our hearts, Lord, be saturated, Lord, and to know your glory. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to meet with us right now. Build us up right now. Help us right now as we work through your word at this time, Lord. Help your servant, Lord. I'm weak. Lord, I need your strength this morning. The strength that's from above, Lord, to preach your word faithfully. Lord, I need your wisdom. Help me, Lord, in my weakness, Lord, to preach your word faithfully this morning. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember some years ago, uh, I'm probably one of the youngest person in here, right? I remember years ago, why y'all scratching your head back there? Are you trying to say I'm old or something? I remember years ago when I was in, I think I was in the ninth grade, and uh, I got in trouble in school. I might have told y'all this story before. And the last person I wanted to know that I got in trouble in school was my, my dad. I didn't care anybody else would have known, the teachers and everybody else. Long as they don't tell it to my dad, I don't care what happened at school. Long as they don't tell dad. Something about dad, right? And so uh, I got in trouble and, um, at school and, um, and, so, and I got suspended. So you get suspended, you got to take your paper home, let your parents know you're suspended, you can't come back for a day or two. And so for me, it was no way I was going to let my dad see that I got suspended. So I had it all figured out. Everything figured out this day. I was gonna let my dad drop me off that morning, and when he when he dropped me off, he's gonna leave. I'm gonna act like I'm walking into school, and when he first turned that corner, I'm getting off campus. So at the same time, there were two other people suspended as well. So we kind of still. Had a little idea together. We kind of worked this plan out together. So my dad dropped me off, went around the corner, drove around the corner, he turned the corner, and I say, got him. Where the word got him wasn't used. Y'all wouldn't use got him then. But I said, I got this. So I caught out. We met up on the north side. Went playing basketball all day. Went to the playground on the north side. Just having a good time all day. Daddy ain't gonna figure this out. I'm good, right? I'm good. So here it come. 
School is gonna over. What time school in about that time? 3 o'clock? 3.15. 3.15. I need to be back by 3.15. So here I come. The 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 uh the, the bell ring at school. I sneak back on campus. My backpack on everything. Dad and I and I saw my dad, we parked everything, and so about to get in the car, oh, it's a long day. And my dad looked at me and said, boy, where you been at? <laughs> and I was like, what, what you mean? I, I'm at school. And he said, uh, I'm going to ask you again. And so your dad said, yeah, ask you again. There ain't no wiggling around that no more. So he know what's going on. Now I want to know, you got to go ahead and keep it straight. So I went, I, I went off campus. And he said, well, when you left, your principal didn't call me right away. They saw you leave. And so when I got home and everything, uh, I'm not going to tell y'all what happened. But uh, I couldn't walk for a couple days. Well, my dad at that time, he dealt with me at that time. Right? And as he dealt with me at that time, and I got punished for what I've done. And that punishment right there was, you know, when I, with how he disciplined me, that punishment was final. He didn't go back and discipline me again for the same crime. Or the same thing that I've done wrong. Well, that relates to our story here today. Paul is encouraging us is that God has already dealt with this in the past. So why are you thinking God is still going to deal with it again? Well, well, let, let, me, let me make it plain to you here. It's a lot of things that we're still holding on to that we've done in the past that God has already dealt with. But it's us right here that are still holding those things in. We won't let those things go. Because we're thinking in our head that what God has done, yeah, he said he let it, but he still has not let everything go with all this. So God has still has some wrath that he hasn't poured out. He's going to pour it out on us. Let me back up to Romans chapter 7. Paul is explaining in Romans 7 here, though, is that he dealt with in Romans 5 and Romans 6. Paul has said we are justified by faith. Faith alone. We are saved by believing in Christ, not mind works, not being baptized, not walking down the aisle, not saying, not, not doing, not, not um, giving money to a church. None of those things save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ, what Christ has done, and Christ and Christ alone save you. And Paul said you're justified by believing in Christ and it's final. Well, we got some Judaizing people in the church like, you telling me that Christ has done all everything? So we can live however we want to live? So Paul goes on to explain that God has justified us, but we still could not continue in sin. He has justified us, but we still should not live in sin. So what did Paul do here? Paul lets them know that is that for those that continue sin, it just proves over time they're not really with Christ. But for those that are truly in Christ, they don't continue in sin. The Paul goes on the phone and said, let me use myself as an example here. Look at my life. The things that I don't want to do anymore, sometimes I find my flesh doing it. But the things of God that I want to do, Right? I find myself doing the things of the flesh. And then he's conflicted with the battle that the things of the flesh sometimes overrule the things of the spirit. Sometimes the things of the spirit rule the things of the flesh. The battle of the Christian life. And Paul said, I hate my sin, but I find myself going back to it. That's what Paul is saying here in his Romans. So Paul is like, man, I feel like a hypocrite. I come in on a Sunday morning 
And I'm praising the Lord. And I'm saying thank you, Lord. I'm saying all these things. But I just know what I did yesterday. So Paul knows that what does it mean to feel this way? So Paul says right here in Romans chapter 7 at the end around about verse 24, 23 somewhere. He said to these words, he said, wretched man that, that I am. He going to start himself wretched and miserable saying that who can save me from this? And Paul goes on to say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Through Christ, we are saved from it. Even though we struggle. And so in Romans 8, he gets in here. Let me further explain this to you. For those that are truly in Christ, thank be to Jesus, that now there is no condemnation. And he explained all this stuff. All this wrong theology we tell ourselves when we mess up, Paul goes and explains that, hey, you are in Christ, and nobody can take you away from him, not even yourself. They try to convince you that you are not in Christ. So today's text, we jump right back in. As we get ready to end Romans chapter 8, Paul goes in to kind of end this whole chapter off. And I've been giving seven, seven pretty much key truths that Paul wants us to pretty much bank on. Seven truths. We learned about in verse 31, right here. When you think God has forgotten about you, that God has don't love you because you messed up, Paul tells us in verse 31, God is for us. Everybody say God is for us. God is for us. 32, we learned that this. Not only that, God is for us. God gives us all things. Everything we need to persevere in the, in, in the Christian church. Psalm 23, our brother King reminded us of. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He provides for us. He provides for us. And time, when we feel like the Lord has given up on us, he still provides for us. So everybody say, God gives us all things. God gives us all things. Verse 33, we learn, God justifies the elect. God makes rights the elect. God justifies. Before the courtroom, God's the true judge. Right? And God said, this person right here is not guilty. The judges hit the gavel. This person is not guilty. It is final. You are dismissed. You are set free. You are made righteous. Nobody can separate you from God's love. That God has truly justified you, no matter what somebody else may say. You are truly justified. I don't care what your cousins and mamas and brothers and friends, they may say that God see or God whatever you're not with Christ. Whatever. But what the scripture says right here, though, is that God had justified those that was unrighteous that believed in him. They are truly justified. That's what we learned. So everybody say, God justifies the elect. And today we're going to deal with now, God will not condemn us. God will not condemn us. We're going to do it in three points this morning. Jesus will. Jesus was condemned for our sins in 34. And the second uh, point is going to be, it's going to be a long point here. Why would Jesus condemn us for our sins if he had, if he had already died for our sins? Why would Jesus condemn us for our sins if he had already died for our sins? And the last one is going to be with Jesus, nor the Father will condemn us. And if there's some grammar errors within my points, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do well in English. Everybody's not an English major. Uh, like the people in the back, a couple of them have the English majors that had it all together. And so uh, I usually just look out three love paper. Uh, look at point number one. Jesus was condemned for sin. 34, 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Now we have another question Paul has brought up by Paul here. Last week I mentioned that we talked about we are forever justified. Dr. Lord Jones says this right here. You are not merely pardoned and forgiven. You are declared by God to be just in his sight. This is a matter of status, a matter of standing. There is no going back and forth from being justified to not being justified and then being justified again. God has done this once for all and forever. And the law is ended as far as you are concerned. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. That is the complete answer to any charge that can ever be brought against us. All the charges have been accepted by Christ. And now we've been made right. We are truly made right before God. We are forever assured in Christ because we are justified. But Paul doesn't stop there again in verse 33. He wants to give more and more proof of our assurance by using another question again. Also, this question sounds very familiar here in verse 34. What does it sound like? Who is to condemn? Does it sound very similar somewhere else in Romans 8? What verse in Romans 8? Verse 1. Y'all see verse 1 in Romans chapter 8? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul tells us that those that walk in the spirit would not be condemned. But y'all know how them kids are, right? You got to tell them kids about two, two or three times, don't you? We're so forgetful, don't they? They get so distracted. Christian was playing Fortnite yesterday, and, and I wanted them to get something done around the house. And their brain just kind of just disappeared. Because they were so into the game at that moment. Fam, I think that's us in, the, in his life. We be forgetful, right? And so what did Paul do here? Paul is just reminding us the same thing we've been learning all throughout Romans 8. But now he's just giving this to us quickly now. As he in this chapter, he's going to say the same thing just about. But he's saying them a lot quicker now. Earlier he said, therefore, is there are no condemnation. But now he goes in and talks about this condemnation again. So Paul asserted that there might be some in the Roman church that have professed Christ but have forgotten about the things of Christ. And some of them might even be thinking about that they will be condemned. So Paul reminds them again that they would not be condemned. For those that are in the spirit would not be condemned. And now Paul earlier was kind of just there, there now there, therefore now no, therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. But now he used some type of hypothetical type of game here, it seemed like. Okay, if you think you will be condemned, who's going to condemn you then? So he plays this type of role like, okay, if you really think now, if yourself is telling you that you did what you did was wrong, if you think you're going to be condemned by God, who's going to condemn you then? Who's going to condemn you? This is a good question for the struggling believer. If you feel like God hasn't forgiven you and God hasn't done these things, so, so who's going to judge you then? It's one of those gotcha moments. One of those gotcha moments. This is a good question for the believer. If you really think you will be condemned, who is going to condemn you? 
Well, we know that Christ was condemned for our sins. It wasn't like our sins just disappeared. They were truly dealt with. He was a righteous God. God has to deal with sin. Some of us get an illustration is if, if somebody, right? If somebody killed your child, right? And the judge is right there, the person murdered was right there before the judge. And the judge said, I got all the evidence that this person killed your child. But the judge said, hey, I'm having a good day. You go free. How would you feel about that judge? The judge let somebody go free that just killed your child. Would that be a righteous judge? No. That would be an unrighteous judge. That's your child. You know, judge, do something about this. In the same way, God is holy and God is righteous, that God has to deal with sin. If he's a righteous God, he's a consistent God, he has to deal with sin. So our sin just didn't disappear. Abracadabra just disappeared. That didn't know how to work. Somebody had to deal with it. Somebody had to take the punishment for sin. And that's exactly what happened to Christ. Christ took our sins. He was then seen as a sinner because he took the sin of the people. For he made him to be sin. That's why scripture is not ashamed to mention often about the death of Christ. You remember a couple of weeks ago in Romans 32, 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Jesus was given up by the Father. He was given up by the Father, punished by the Father. We also see it in other places. Romans 5, 8, we talked about it uh, months ago. But God showed his love for us and that while we were Christ died for us. Christ died for us. We also see in 1 John 14. And this is love. Not that we have a love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's covering for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 John 3.16 By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We have plenty of reminders and scriptures of the reason why Jesus died. Sin just didn't disappear. Right? Sometimes we treat sin, right, like it just disappeared like we treat our bills, right? You just put them in a jar. I'm not going to look at them. Will they go away? They're going to be there, right? Whatever you can get to put the papers in your drawer. But guess what? You're going to get some phone calls. You're going to get some mobile. You're going to keep getting it, or you're going to have some lights cut off. In the same way, sin, we just couldn't look. God can just overlook it. God had to deal with sin. And we see right here the reason why Christ died. He was condemned for sin. So Christ was the one that would truly condemn for sin. Never has happened in the history of this world. Never has happened that God was condemned. Never has happened. This is the first time ever in the history of the world that the God-man, the true son of God, he's equal with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now he becomes 
an enemy of the Father at this particular time. That Jesus, now, it tells us in Isaiah 53 10, it said it, it pleased the Father to do what? To crush his own son. It pleased the Father, but the Father couldn't kill his son. The Father, he's the Father. The Father had to punish sin. That's the most profound thing in all scripture. That Jesus was with the Father in eternity past. They have always been together, always worked together. But it's this particular psalm. Jesus has to be punished by the Father. And if Jesus doesn't get punished by the Father, guess who get punished by the Father? Us. So we just dealt with right here. Jesus was condemned for sin. Paul is, 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 is really wanting us to consider this right here. When, we, when he heard the question asked, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. Who is to condemn? There's no way. Christ was already put to death for us. Point number two. Why would Jesus condemn us for our sin if he had already died for our sins? More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. We just learned about Christ being truly God and died. Now we can't. We come back to this question. How can Jesus condemn his people if he had already condemned to the condemnation for them? This reminds me of uh, another story. Uh, oh, I say illustration. Say a brother Franklin bought a car, bought a new car. And he bought a new car, and I go in and I pay the whole car off for him. And the dealership come back and say, well, you paid it off for him, but we want him to pay it off too. How would that sound? Look at his. What's that sound? <laughs> that don't sound right, do it? We already paid the car off. And the dealership, well, we want this person to pay the car off. How does that sound? You're going to look, the dealership has already been paid off. Why are you trying to get us to pay it off again? It's already been paid off. It doesn't make sense. Somebody already paid it off. It doesn't matter who pays up, but this person pays it off. It's paid off. Well, no, we want it from this person right here to pay it off. It doesn't make sense. If the debt was already paid and was accepted by the dealer, what's the problem? In the same way, if our debt for sin was already paid and was accepted by the Father, that is all what matters. That was good. All right. If it was accepted by the Father, that's the Father, that's all what matters. That's exactly what Paul is wanting us to understand. Christ is the one that truly died for his people. So why in the world then, when we mess up, we think God is going to send us to hell? Why do we think God's going to send us to hell? God's going to condemn us if Christ is already paid for? You sound just like the dealer now at the dealership. Why did Jesus die and we still go to hell? We don't think about how bad this really sounds when we get into sin. When we are starting to, to, to think and think and think, like God saw this, I'm going to mess up and Everybody gonna, when you start thinking all those things, your mind just start forgetting about scriptures and you're trying to fix yourself before God. 
You feel like you can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. This sounds pretty bad. That's the point Paul is trying to make. He did the same. We, we, we talked about the same thing last week. If you do worry about the charges being brought on you, what will the charges be? If you're worried about God's gold, these charges, what were the charges he's going to have on you? If he say God got charges on what the charges? What charges? Name the charge. What charge? Huh? Huh? If God got charges on you, if he's still holding charges, tell me the charges. Because if you say charges are still there, that means Christ truly didn't pay for all sin. And on top of all that, he is the judge with the Father. Christ judges the Father. So now, so now we know who owned the charges. Again, when we get into sin, we throw out, we throw out our theology. Theology is theos logos, the study of God. All the things we studying about God, we throw it out the window when we fall into sin. We start believing the worst things. We start believing what our feelings and our conscience starting to tell us. Or our feelings or, or, our, or what somebody else may start to say about us. We don't believe the biblical things. We start making up stuff to believe. There's no way in this world that Christ is going to turn his back on the ones he died for. No way he's going to turn his back on us. I was talking to a brother this week about the covenant of redemption. It was a covenant between the Father and the Son that Jesus was going to die to cure the elect people for the Father. This also proves that Christ doesn't turn his back on his people. Christ saved those the Father had set out for him to save. Christ knew that they were sinning before he died. He knew that we were going to sin before we died. I mean, before um, we came into this world. Christ knew exactly what he was getting himself into. So he saw the ugly and uh, the ugly of our hearts. And he still set his affections on us. God didn't wait till we get ourselves together before he loved us. That's not biblical. But God, God ain't going to love me until I get right in my own life. Family, God loved us when we wasn't right. Now our flesh is trying to convince us that God will condemn us. Who listens to these unbiblical rhetoric? Who listens to that type of stuff? That God is going to condemn us. God is going to turn his back on us. Who listens to that type of stuff? Family, we do. We all in this room do. We get embarrassed, don't we? We mess up and get embarrassed. We feel ashamed. Adam and Eve, right? They felt embarrassed and they felt ashamed. That's what we do. We feel ashamed and embarrassed when we mess up. We started questioning Christ's work because of our insecurities and our own unbelief. Paul wants us to see that it does not make sense believing that God is going to condemn us and get the condemned elect. Another thing is proof that God is not going to condemn us is Christ's resurrection. If God did not accept Christ being the sacrificial lamb, 
it wouldn't have raised him back up from the grave. The father raised the son up from the grave because the father has accepted Christ being the true sacrificial lamb. By Christ being at the right hand being raised up by the father, that lets you know the father has accepted the punishment and accepted everything that he wanted from his son. The father has accepted it because none righteous can be before the father. So Jesus said before the Father, the Father raised him back up. Not only that, Jesus raised himself up. Again, this is proof that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by the triune God. That Jesus was truly raised. One source says this. The resurrection of Jesus assured us our justification, Paul wrote. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If Christ were still in the tomb, it would mean God's wrath was not satisfied. And we would still stand guilty before God. But as Paul also wrote in Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is not that resurrection accomplishes our justification. Jesus' sinless life and sin-bearing death did that. But rather, it assures us our justification. It was God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11. And by that act, God declared that Christ's atoning sacrifice had been accepted. The penalty for our sins was paid in full. The resurrection was God's declaration that he had counseled the record of our debt that stood against us with his legal demands. Family, we're made right by God. Christ's resurrection is a proclamation to the world that we're made right by, before God. In the same way, we know that we will be raised with Christ in the end. So Christ's resurrection is proof of the Father accepting Jesus' condemnation as full appeasement for those whom he elect. But for those that are not the elect, for those that not believe in Jesus, God's wrath still remains on them. God's wrath remains on them. And God, the people for them, will be eternity in hell forever. Point number three. Let's wrap things up. Point number three. It's going to be short, y'all. Jesus nor the Father will condemn us. Jesus nor the Father will condemn us. Who indeed is interceding for us? The end is verse 34. As we get ready to end, we end with the most assured proof of our assurance that we really won't be condemned. Before I, but before I explain the significance of this part of the verse about intercession, interceding, I want to bring up our attention that now we see Jesus is also interceding for us. Y'all remember in uh, Romans 20, 8, 27? Who was interceding for us in 8, 27? The Holy Spirit. But now we see in Jesus is considered the one to be interceding for us. It says in verse 27, uh, from biblical theologian uh, Ladeja Jones, and he who searches the heart now knows what the, the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is praying to the Father and pleading to the Father on our behalf. Y'all know in the courtroom, you got people give testimonies and petitioning to the judge. Judge, I know their character. Hey, judge, do this. Judge, do this. What Jesus now is before the Father, 
And guess what he do? In the spirit, guess what they're doing? Day in and day night out. They're pleading with the Father for us. You sleeping good. Sleeping real. That long day, you tired. You snoring. Sleeping real good. And the spirit and the, and the son is petitioning to the Father for you. Father, help them, Father, help them. Jesus petitioned to the Father of our life as a Christian and for our transition to, to glorification. Jesus speaking at every moment on our behalf for our needs to be met by the Father. It's a great assurance that Jesus is our, on our side. But let me go further in this. I talked about this interceding in verse 27. But don't throw rocks at me. I don't think the focus is actually dealing with interceding. I think he's using this word for a particular reason. Again, stick with me here. I believe this verse is not actually focused on Christ interceding in the life of the Christian. Stick with me now. I know y'all starting to blink and eyebrows going up and down. I believe that this verse is more proof of not being condemned. We just learned in point number two that Jesus was condemned so we won't be condemned for the same crime again. Jesus has paid the full payment for our sins. And we know, well, and we uh, know, uh, we now learn that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father petitioning for us. What well, if Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that means Jesus sits on the most powerful side of the Father. How many people right hand in this room? Raise your hand. Okay. Majority of this room is right hand, right? Now, God. Did God have hands? No, no, he's a spirit. But Jesus took upon flesh, right? He had a body. But the Father and the Spirit does not have hands. And Jesus' Spirit does not have hands. Only his incarnated body has hands. Right? So, the Father doesn't have a right hand. But the Father said, well, he tells it right here, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. This is called anthropomorphic language. Everybody say it together. Anthropomorphic language. Alright, this is... This is language and way of God describing himself as man so we can relate to him. God has used his image. God sees always like God has eyes. God used that type of language for us to be able to relate to him. And here we see right here, everybody in this room, the majority of the, everybody in this room is right-handed. At the time of Jesus and even in the past, majority of the people would be, still be Right-handed. And right hand is kind of like the strength. Right? You shooting a basketball, you want to shoot it with the right hand. If you're right-handed. Alright? You throw a baseball with your right hand. You're picking up stuff with your right hand, your strongest hand. This is a testimony now. It tells us that now, Jesus, the strongest side of the Father, the strongest hand that crushed even Jesus, the strongest hand that deal with justice, the strongest hand of the Father, Jesus sat right beside him. He didn't sit on the left hand. Jesus sits on the right hand. The hand that can crush anything, Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, further proving to us that the Father has accepted Jesus as being the propitiation for our sins. To being a redeemer for our sins. To being a savior for our sins. For him to be the truly true son of God. So the Father accepts Jesus. So family, I think that's what the is getting at. We got proof that the Father accepted Jesus' 
sacrifice because the Father now allowing Jesus to intercede for us. So by Jesus being able to intercede for us, that means Jesus and the Father now, they're back on one accord. And when I say back on one accord, the Spirit, Jesus, right, the divine nature and the Father was still there together. It was Jesus' fleshly nature that Father had to punish. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit have always been together, but at this time, the Spirit, right, the divine nature and the incarnated Christ, his flesh, God had to punish. But Jesus' Spirit, divine nature, was still holding this world together while he was in the grave. So family, I hope this encourages this morning that Christ is at the right hand of the Father. That's proof that you don't have to hold in your gift. That proof you don't have to hold in your past. That proof you don't have to worry about what people are thinking of you. By Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Father has accepted what the Son has done. And family, what the Son has done, He has took the condemnation that we all deserve for us. He has made us right. So family, we can walk in victory. We can walk in peace. We can walk as being conquerors. We're going to learn about here at the end of Romans 8. We can walk as conquerors trusting in the things of God. So let us be encouraged as we, in this world, as we continue to struggle at times, and our shortcomings. For the struggle is not for us to give up and say, well, I've done this, and there's no way out of this. It is a way out of this. Christ has given us a way with his blood. So for those that say that they won't do this again, I'm going to start coming to church every Sunday. You find yourself messing up. You find yourself saying, I'm not going to look at pornography anymore. You find yourself messing up. You find yourself not going to talk badly to your spouse. You find yourself messing up. For those that continue to say, I'm not going to do this again. I don't want to do this again. And sometimes you find yourself doing it again. This message is for you and for me and for all of us this morning. When we mess up, that doesn't mean God's going to condemn us. That means Christ has already condemned us. It could condemn Christ has already condemned for us. We won't be condemned. So family, let us walk in boldness today. Not trusting in your works. Thinking that your works going to keep you. If I just do this, God's going to keep me. If I just do this, God's going to do this. Family, your works cannot do it. You cannot save yourself. You cannot keep yourself in the hands of God. You can't do it. But God can. God can. You can rest in the truth that God can do it. Not trusting in your word, but trusting in his word. Hold fast to the salvation that has been given to us. So let Christ's sweetness compel us. Not to give in to the things in this world. So I say for us this morning, that are tempted to give in to things in this world, look at the sweetness of the cross. That's way better than the lies that you're seeing try to tell you. But to Christ, let Christ prepare you not to give in to anymore. What he's done for you, his sweet love should be so sweet that you shouldn't have to turn to anything that's ungodly. Remind yourself that he has, that's a person that is pleading for you. At the same time you're struggling, somebody's pleading to the Father. That's the God man. So again, how dare 
we ask God a question of God. God, will you condemn us? How dare we ask that question? He already took the punishment for us. He took it for us. Let me end with this quote, one more from Dr. Jones. The real Dr. Jones, not the fake one. If you begin to listen to the devil and say to yourself, listen to this, everybody listen to this. If you begin to listen to the devil and say to yourself, well, after all, he is right. I did sin yesterday, and I'm not as good as I thought I ought to be. I'm talking about the Satan. You will soon be feeling your under condemnation. Again, because you have broke, 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 and worse once again. You shall rather, you should rather say, I know I am unworthy. I know I am sinful. No one knows how bad I am. But God has justified me in Christ. I do not rely upon myself. I am relying utterly, only, absolutely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon what he has done on my behalf and upon God's declaration with respect to me. All those are sweet words there. Again, if you start listening to your mind and your thoughts, you're going to follow that rabbit trail all day. Beating yourself up. Beating yourself up. And just so down. But you follow the scripture say Christ has paid for it. And this is part of the trap. This is part of the journey to glorification. I'm not going to sin anymore. I don't want to sin anymore. Now I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord as a go for it there. Let me give about three applications and everything for us. Remember when you fall into sin or feel a form of loneliness that we must believe God's word and not base things on our experience. Don't base things on what you experience, your feelings. Don't base things on your feelings, y'all. Y'all feelings go everywhere. Don't base it on your experience either. But base things on God's word. That God's word has spoken. And our brother Jerry reminds us quite a bit in Revelation 22. Don't add or take away from his word. His word is final. He won't condemn us. So we must first believe God's word. The reason why we keep going back is we don't believe the word. We believe it at our own convenience. We pick and choose when to believe the word. We've been having a good sunny day. Everything good, man. Them taxes just hit for some of y'all. You haven't been feeling good when them taxes hit. But not just when the taxes hit. On a day-to-day -day basis, right? When you're struggling, the good and the bad. Hold on to God's word. Hold fast to his word. Second thing, we must have a biblical view of Jesus. A biblical view of Jesus. How he lived a perfect life and died for our sins. He paid for our sins, present, past, and future. That paid, he was paid it in full. There's no other payment is needed. The balance now is paid in full. This, we have to understand what Jesus did. The gospel. I feel like a lot of time when we beat ourselves up and going back to it, man, I met uh, man. We go back to the thing that God is going to do this to me. God is going to do that to me. I think what it shows us that we don't really understand what the cross really means. The cross means Jesus has paid it all. Paid it all. They got a movie called Paid in Full, but I don't know if that's, that's something else. Jesus paid it truly and all. He's paid it fully for us. 
Last application right here to be encouraged. Don't be insecure by the questions that the flesh tries to conjure up. Those insecurity comes in and you start to believe the questions or making up questions of the flesh. Family, don't let your flesh make up questions. Stop it. Just stop it. When your flesh starts thinking of things, to God this, to God this, next thing you know, your whole rest of your day, you're figuring out a way to try to justify sin. Well, I said this, or I said that. Let me try to fix it up. I didn't mean it that way, or I didn't mean it that way. All day you're trying to work through it. You're trying to make sure that you can fix things up. Family, don't entertain all these questions of the flesh. The flesh is going to come up with a lot of questions. Don't entertain those questions of the flesh. Go to God's word and read God's word and trust God's word and believe his word. And as you believe and trust his word, a lot of times those questions it brings, that's what a lot of questions do, it brings about doubt. You ask a lot more questions, it brings about doubt, 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 then you start questioning everything about God. Just stop it in the track. Say, Lord, I want to confess my sins before you. And Lord, you, you have said in your word, with sin abound, grace abounds even more. So I know even through this sin, Lord, you're going to use this sin to make me more like you. So I won't do this again. I won't continue doing these certain things. Lord, you're going to do these things. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to bring my sin before you every single time, Lord. I don't want you to help me. But family, when we start trying to work through it and, and trying to justify all day, we went a whole day not trying to God's word. Trying to trust our own doubtful thoughts. Trust God's word. Rest in God's word. And as you do that, the Lord miraculously, by his grace, turns, conforms you more and more to the image of his son. Turn to Jesus this day. But for those that, that, that are not in Christ in this room, you might not understand nothing I said today. Everything I said today might be foreign to you. But, but that's okay. That's okay. But let, let me say this right here. That God is a perfect, righteous God. And God demanded that we keep his laws, that we obey him. And family, no one in this room has truly obeyed him perfectly outside of Christ. So we all have sinned against God. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That for those that sin against God will be punished for their sins. There's no way cousin, grandma, no one else can take the place for your sins. You will be punished for your sin by not believing in Jesus. But God sent his only son, Jesus, to live the life that we couldn't live. Jesus lived a perfect, righteous life. And Jesus, for those that believe in Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross and he gave his life, his perfect life to those sinners that believe in him. And for those that are sin that believe in him, their sin goes upon Christ. And he was punished for their sins. So for those in this room, I would say turn to Jesus today. Today, it tells us in Hebrew, today is the day of salvation. Our God can truly save you today. Turn to Jesus today. He can take your sins upon himself and give you new life. If that's you today, after service, please stop by and talk to me. I'll be around. I would love to see our church baptize you. I would love to see you part of this church. But I would say here is that if you don't believe in Jesus, 
His brow still remains on you. Let me pray for us.